All right, all right, all right. What is up, my friends? Welcome in Benzinga's Cannabis Insider here on Tuesday, July 11th, officially one week removed from July 4th. So I hope you all have your coffee, you're ready to go, you're you're diving into cannabis, because I got to tell you, it's going to be a volatile July. But before we get into all that, get us started, Aaron Thomas. What's up, y'all? Drop a what's up in the chat. Tell us what you're thinking about. What's your cannabis stock you're following today? Um, <laughs> we got a good one for you today. I got to tell you that we had no public company news as of this morning. Everybody saw Terrison list on the TSX and was like, great, that'll do. No more PRs for a little while. I didn't really see anything from the public companies for 710, except really for Leaf's rebranding of Select brand. I'd love to hear what you all think about that. I think it looks pretty sleek. Uh, but all in all, uh, it has been a, re a, a relatively quiet week until <laughs> we see canopy growth. That is CGC on the NASDAQ up 20% today. They have been the just the poster child of problematic um, stock decline over the past, I would say, month. Uh, but that being said, they are seeing a lovely day, and we have a great article out on Benzinga. I recommend everybody taking a peek at it. Just head to Benzinga.com slash cannabis or Benzinga.com slash quote slash CGC. You'll find it either place, but CGC is on a tear strictly because of fundamentals of the space that, that we can tell, right? You know, maybe there's some insider knowledge that I'm not privy to. That, what can I say? I only have a few sources. Give me a break. Uh, but Chadwick agrees. CGC is on a tear. What's going on? Um, basically, it's the fundamentals of the space. July looks to be a very exciting month. Uh, Volatility-wise for stocks, keep an eye on MSOS, on the ETFs, on these uh, other Canadian stocks. I said it this morning on Cannabis Daily. If you don't follow that, uh, VFF, SNDL, ACB, CGC, these are the stocks that are going to move first. Uh, the Canadian stocks that have absolutely nothing to do <laughs> with U.S. legislation. But that being said, they are, the most, they are the most accessible to U.S. investors. It's as simple as that. They trade on fundamentals uh, because if Canopy USA actually becomes, uh, an, or in actuality, uh, analysts such as Owen Bennett from Jefferies have already said uh, that that is what will keep them alive. That is exciting. Anything else is uh, somewhat worrisome for the company. So that is why CGC is on a tear today. But goodness, what a tear. <laughs> also, some ancillary companies have taken off recently. You guys see Ugro. They had a couple days of really, really nice movement last week. Uh, that's UGRO on the NASDAQ. Uh, phenomenal movement there. MSOS saw a lot of volatility yesterday specifically. Um, last week was just bad for the markets all around. So, uh, we don't necessarily look at that, but UGRO, uh, was, was pretty interesting. MSOS was interesting and CGC of course is interesting. All that said, uh, we'll keep you updated on the fundamentals as always throughout the day on benzinga.com slash cannabis, but tune in every morning cannabis daily. That said, the rest of the news today was mostly around sales and, and prices. You know, we saw Connecticut and Arkansas have a record prices, uh, record sales uh, when it came to uh, the first six months of the year. Connecticut saw $24 million in June, $122 million in the first six months of recreational sales. Arkansas saw, I think, uh, over $140 million in sales in the first six months, so both doing well there. 
Uh, and Roth uh, just came out with a note as well uh, that they are uh, supporting <laughs> why CGC is moving, uh, that the volatility uh, from uh, Schumer and his note on Sunday uh, about uh, his schedule for the, for the July session here uh, is, is why you will see volatility. Great. I think that's it for news today. We have an awesome, awesome guest. We are going to be speaking uh, with the head of uh, the Kentucky Hemp Works. This is Katie Moyer. Very excited to welcome her in. Stephanie Lerman, thank you so much. My thoughts on edibles in New York. I think New York has a, a lot more issues to sort out uh, before they get to edibles. But uh, if you have a more specific question, let me know. Uh, but that being said, edibles are weirdly in the news uh, quite a lot today. Uh, and, and really the last week, we saw a Michigan edibles company not have child-safe packaging and have THC limits well over uh, what they should be. And they recalled it voluntarily. That being said, they probably uh, would have been taken down either way. Uh, but also, I think edibles in Alabama can only be peach-flavored. Uh, et- There's a lot going on in the edibles market right now, and I'm sure New York is no better. Uh, but <laughs> ice cream, ooh, I wonder if Betty's Eddie's uh, is getting in there. Uh, if you guys don't know, MRMD, that's Merimed on the OTC. Wonderful, wonderful ice cream edibles brand. Um, but that being said, let's bring on our guest. Uh, we're going to dive into the hemp side of life, into the Kentucky, the medical marijuana side. Uh, we're going to see how it's going. Uh, we had a wonderful conversation a few months ago with state representative uh, Nima Kulkarni, I believe. Uh, and so we're going to continue that conversation today. Aaron Thomas, let's bring over our guest. Katie, how are you? Welcome onto the show. Hey, I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me. Thrilled to have you. There's a lot going on in cannabis and hemp and marijuana. Just can't seem to settle on what we want to be. <laughs> but that being said, Kentucky, one of the more recent movers uh, on the state side uh, with medical marijuana, you represent Kentucky Hemp Works, though. Can you talk to me about what you do in the state of Kentucky? Yes. Um, so Kentucky Hemp Works is my small business, and we actually are one of the few in the state of Kentucky that focus on seed. So we do seed production for vegetable oil and seed cake. And uh, while most people think about, you know, hemp production in the in the terms of CBD or the deltas or things like that, uh, we really focus on food, food, fuel and feed. So we do a lot of research in animal feed with universities Um, But I'm also the president of the Kentucky Hemp Association. So that sort of takes, uh, it sort of gives me um, some insight into the entire market in Kentucky and also, you know, the challenges whenever we have challenges in Kentucky or problems or things like that. um, I'm usually right there ready to try to solve them. So many questions for you. Uh, I'm going to start with your small business. So Kentucky Hemp Works, uh, this, you know, it seems you do a few interesting different things, um, you know, with hemp, uh, but you're, you're doing something maybe alongside or um, other than consumption, um, at least for humans. You're doing um, <laughs> seed for, for animal consumption. Can you talk to me a little bit about how you see the future of the hemp industry? Is it across consumption? Is it across recreational? Uh, is it across industrial? Is it across animal feed? Uh, or it, is it more in one segment than the other? How do you see the future of hemp playing out? And if you want to talk about that in broad industry terms or in Kentucky terms, I welcome either. 
Yeah, I think it is one thing, you know, our focusing is in Kentucky, but um, I do think that, you know, my my sort of view on the market is probably a, a worldwide or nationwide, nationwide thing. Um, I have always viewed the seed portion of the industry as sort of a conservative long term uh, growth that probably wouldn't take off very quickly, but that little by little it would gain traction and, and people would become slowly more interested in getting those healthy omegas and fatty acids in their diets, not only for humans, but for animals as well. Um, the same with the fiber, the fiber and the fuel side of the industry. I always felt like those things were um, areas that we have sort of the most potential but that it was going to be slow to get started and gradually increasing in popularity. And, and so, you know, I always viewed it as like a long-term conservative pick, sort of like, you know, you're buying gold versus silver or something mm -hmm. like that. Um, you're not going to see those returns immediately, but 20, 25, 30 years down the road, you might see significant returns. Um, and then I also felt you know, we'll say go back five years, I felt like CBD was going to be um, sort of a more rapid growth, but it was going to depend on popularity and it was going to ebb and flow and rise and fall. And uh, and we definitely saw that. So that was pretty much spot on. Um, but then we've also seen the rise of all these other Delta products, Delta 8 and Delta 10 and things like that, mm -hmm. that are arising out of the hemp industry. And, and I, you know, in my opinion, I think that those things are coming up because we, we haven't had a medical marijuana program here. Um, so they're popular as an alternative to medical marijuana because you can get them from hemp. So those have sort of followed that same course of being, you know, what's popular right now? Is it trendy? And how, how long is that going to last before some new product comes in and takes its place? So that's sort of the overview of what I see in the industry. I do think we have a lot of potential for the fiber and the seed, the animal feed, energy, fuel, things like that. Um, but it's going to take a it's going to take a lot of infrastructure, a lot of time and a lot of investment interest before those things happen. So for the Kentucky Hemp Association, thank you for that answer. I appreciate it. It's very detailed and actually answered a few of my other questions. Uh, but for the Kentucky Hemp Association, the participants in that, you know, are they in industrial hemp players? Are they Delta 8, Delta 9, Delta 10 players? Are they other minor cannabinoids, CBN, CBG? Uh, where, how do you see the hemp industry makeup uh, in the state of Kentucky? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so uh, we do. So, you know, like I said, I'm a seed processor. I think I'm the only one on the board that that is a seed processor. We have one other seed processor in the state. Um, and then we've got uh, we've got some folks that are interested in fiber. Um, but again, those are minimal. The vast majority of the membership are really along the lines of like processors and retailers. We've got farmers as well that are involved. And we've got some of these ancillary businesses like brokers and uh, people who make solvents, like organic ethanol, things like that. Um, so it, there is sort of a wide variety of members in the association, but right now we're dominated by retailers in, in the as members, both on the board and in the general membership. Hmm. And I will say that, that that's probably because the retail side of the industry is the one that's doing the best right now. You know, mm -hmm. farmers are struggling, sides. processors are struggling, manufacturers are struggling. 
Um, but the retailers, you know, once you get it to market, you're you're in. Everybody wants a, a piece of it. So uh, we definitely have a lot of retailers in there. But uh, to, to more specifically answer your question the way you asked it, um, CBD and Delta 8 are, are the things that, you know, folks are focused on in the industry right now. It's interesting. I, you know, I, from the marijuana side, I, you know, you, you see the oversupply in States, you see the price compression, um, your retailers, I think have the best opportunity to be operationally efficient. Um, many are not, and they're not profitable. Uh, so I understand, you know, why retailers in CBD and hemp as well. Uh, but you know, to my understanding, hemp doesn't have the same financial burdens uh, as the marijuana side. So I'm curious, what is holding back? Is it, is it education? Is it just general consumer awareness? Um, I'm curious, what what's the main obstacle for a hemp retailer? Well, as usual, the main obstacle to success in a small business in Kentucky is the government. <laughs> um, and, uh, I, hate to, I hate to lay it all on their on their desk. I but, love you know, it. If they'd stay out of out of it all the time, stay out of our business, then maybe we can be successful. Um, you know, we really did. We did have several years back to back of increase in growth and sales and and all this excitement about hemp in Kentucky. And then 2020 came around, um, and you know, our governor and you know, what, what he felt was his wisdom decided to close retail stores. So most of the stores that were carrying these products were, they, they had to shut down overnight. They had to pivot and figure out how to, you know, do, do curbside pickups or deliveries or things like that. And unfortunately, a lot of these stores, you know, Kentucky is a small rural state. We're not all like Louisville and Lexington, where you've got these, you know, trendy boutiques and, fancy foods and all these things. So a lot of these stores in Kentucky were little small mom and pop stores that just simply couldn't hang out. You know, they couldn't survive 2020. And so we saw a lot of um, a lot of the people that were marketing and selling these products just go out of business overnight. And mm. and so since then, over the last three years since then, we've gradually seen that market pick back up but it's been very slow. It's sort of like when you, you know, the bottom drops out of the stock market, it drops really quickly and then it gradually increases in, in growth. And so we've seen a lot of that, um, but we've also had all these challenges since then. So, mm -hmm. you know, in, in 2021, we had, um, we had raids from the state police that were raiding retail stores. And all of a sudden we have vendors who are pulling their products off the shelves and, and immediately their sales are just tanking overnight because they're scared to sell these things. Uh, the Kentucky Hemp Association had to sue the state police and the Department of Agriculture to um, essentially say that you're not you're not interpreting the law right. You know, the federal law says that Delta eight is is, you know, pretty much in, in a gray area is what it says. It, it just wasn't defined in federal law and therefore it wasn't defined in state law as well. And we won that. Um, not long after we uh, almost actually immediately, in fact, it started before we even officially won, uh, the, the legislature tried to ban Delta eight. Again, retailers get spooked. They pull their products off the shelves and, uh, we beat the ban. Um, but then the following year we had the same thing that was actually this year, 2023 and, uh, try to ban Delta eight again, retailers get spooked. They get scared. And uh, we ended up with a victory 
um, you know, our third in a series of three. Um, but instead of banning Delta 8 and just defeating the ban, we actually amended it and got some common sense regulations. Just don't sell it to people under 21, uh, keep certificate of analysis on file, um, keep them behind the shelves where children can't access them. And so we ended up passing that. We're still waiting for the governor's office to come out with their official regulations. But um, we're kind of hoping that we can stop playing defense and really work on improving the industry instead of constantly fighting back against the government. Yeah, it, it's an interesting perspective because we often hear, I mean, we, we generally have marijuana producers on, right, who are actively against Delta 8, um, you know, thinking it's exploiting a loophole, right? Um, how do you respond to that? What's the misconception there? You know, I, I hear from, you know, other Delta 9 THC providers on the hemp side that, uh, you know, it, it's just another product. Uh, however, you know, there's a lot of, um, I, I would say, burdens that marijuana deals with that hemp doesn't um, mm -hmm. because you're legally able to. So that being said, you know, there's also maybe a lack of regulations around the, the what's in the product, right? Yeah. How, you know, what, what's a misconception there uh, between marijuana and, and Delta 8 hemp? Well, um, I think you're, you're, you're definitely right. And I, I do kind of want to preface it by saying, you know, with the lack of regulations, that was the whole reason that we, we pushed for having some regulations that we keep these products safe, keep them out of the hands of children. Um, but I think the misconception is that the hemp industry is the bad guy here um, mm. because we didn't decide how much it would cost you to get a me medical marijuana license to produce it. We didn't decide to make thousands of pages of regulations that require you to have five CPAs and four lawyers and, you know, all these people to dig through and make sure that you're meeting all these, you know, ridiculous amounts of regulation. Uh, I'm a very small government person, and I feel like business operates best when your government is as small as possible. And we can have regulations and we can have industry standards. And, and we all genuinely want to have good quality clean, safe and effective products on the market. Um, but I don't think that the government is really the one that can tell us how to make these clean, safe and effective products. I think it's the innovators, the, the inventors, the engineers, the scientists out in the market who live this every day. So I think, like I said, the, the big misconception is that, you know, the, the, you know, the hemp, hemp people are on the other team. We're all on the same team. Um, it's the it's it's not really like a hemp versus marijuana thing. It's a government versus cannabis thing. And and this has been the case for a hundred plus years in this country. Um, the government's done a great job at dividing us, and that's the best way to conquer an industry that you don't particularly care for. Divide them, turn them against each other. And don't mention anything about the fact that the reason it's so expensive and difficult to be a marijuana producer is because the government said so. I don't disagree with that at all. <laughs> it is not any secret that uh, the federal government and many state governments are the issue. However, Kentucky, moving uh, a little bit more toward uh, a friendly mm -hmm. marijuana government, um, you know, in regards specifically to marijuana side. And, and obviously, you know, if, if lobbying from the marijuana side is somewhat successful, that could result in Delta eight bans, Delta eight regulations. Um, you know, I, I'm curious what, how do you see, uh, the introduction of medical marijuana to Kentucky? Is it a positive? Is it, um, you know, a potential negative? Are you concerned? Are you keeping an eye on it? 
just you know, what's your initial sentiment, and then what's the sentiment of the general hemp industry in Kentucky? Well, um, I think to you know the the general sentiment for the industry is that the vast majority of them are very supportive of medical marijuana, even recreational. Um, most of them have gotten far, far beyond the the whole um, you know hemp is good, marijuana is bad kind of thing, and uh, you know many of them were just whole plant cannabis supporters from the very beginning. Mm -hmm. um, so, but we do live in a very conservative state where the legislature was very, very adamant that, that, you know, they were never going to see uh, marijuana legalized in Kentucky. And thanks to our governor who pretty much held the legislators feet to the fire by passing executive orders. Um, he, he really forced their hand and forced them to be in a position where they almost had to pass a medical marijuana bill. Um, we are definitely watching it and we're, and we're concerned that, you know, maybe somebody might try to sneak in some language that makes it more difficult for, uh, hemp producers to create Delta eight and retail that. Um, but really, you know, I'm, a, I'm kind of always an optimist. I see this as an opportunity for us. We, we're currently working on crafting Delta-8 regulations. I see this as an opportunity for us to kind of get in before the medical marijuana regulations are, are created and show the legislators that, hey, we can have this successful product and we don't have to have some big, ridiculous 500-page regulatory burden that keeps people from being able to make money in this industry. Um, so I'm, what I'm hoping is that by creating some decent common sense Delta eight regulations that we can sort of lay the groundwork for decent common sense marijuana regulations. And maybe, maybe I'm a little too optimistic, but we have done some really amazing things here with just the power of grassroots and perseverance. So why not this too? Awesome. Katie, this has been an insightful conversation about where Kentucky hemp is, uh, about, you know, how retailers and the hemp industry in general are, are seeing it. But I'll, I'll leave us with this. Could you give me one item, you know, that the hemp industry in Kentucky can do better and, or what's a next step for you all to progress, um, you know, into the future of hemp consumption and hemp, hemp adoption? Wow, that's a good question. Um, let's see. One thing that we could do better is um, getting out there with the education that that we have really we've always striven for um, having an association that was really focused on education. And really, most of what we've done over the last four years has been government affairs, you know, lobbying and fighting back and trying to pass bills and this, that and the other. Um, so we, we really haven't had an opportunity to do some of the more fun educational things that we've talked about doing, like a, a Kentucky Hemp Museum, uh, mm -hmm. which is something that has been a part of Kentucky in the past, and we'd like to revisit that, um, or doing, you know, programs for young kids, because I have always felt that if you educate children at a young age about cannabis, then they grow up and they, you know, when they're in junior high or high school, and they're learning about it from their friends because you know they're going to, that they can say, well, I'm already familiar with this. I, I'm not really interested in it because I know this, 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 and this, and you can do a thousand things with, with cannabis. 
Um, so, you know, it's not just something for smoking. My kids are the same way. Um, they, they grew up in hemp fields and, you know, in rural Kentucky. And so when their friends, you know, they found out their friends were vaping and they were like, you know, we, we know there's so much more you can do with hemp, but, but everybody should know that. So, um, yeah. And, and another thing, you know, that I'll probably always say is that we really need to push the fiber and the seed side of things more. Um, mm -hmm. I, love, Amen. I love cannabis. I love everything about it. I, I think even the seeds have medical benefits. We have seen some incredible health and medical benefits from just hemp seed oil and protein. Um, but there is just so much more that we could be exploring and we're all just kind of focused on the fun stuff right now. Amen. I'm a huge believer in industrial hemp. I think the first public industrial hemp company that comes online, I, I may be a retail investor in there. Uh, anyways, Katie right, Moyer. I remember that. <laughs> hey, I, I mean, you know, no, no financial advice here, but you know, I, I think industrial hemp will be massive, especially I think there's a, there's a 12 story hemp Crete hotel going up in South Africa right now. Um, so it's happening. The revolution of industrial hemp is happening. Um, all right. Katie Moyer, owner of Kentucky Hemp Works and the chair, the, the head honcho of the Kentucky Hemp Association. Uh, it's really a pleasure to have you. It's always good to get uh, more specific updates into these states, what's happening. Always good to hear from the hemp side as well. Uh, I really appreciate you being here with us today. Thank you. Thank you for your time. All right. Thanks, Katie. All right, y'all. That'll do it. For Benzinga Cannabis Insider today, thank you for tuning in. Thank you, Stephen. Thank you, Chadwick. Appreciate everybody uh, for listening in. I hope you found this insightful. BZCannabis.com for our next Cannabis Capital Conference in Chicago, September 27th and 28th. We just secured a massive uh, political keynote speaker. Uh, it's going to be good, y'all. You want to be there. Tickets are as cheap as they will ever be. BZCannabis.com. We will see you later, y'all. Cannabis Daily tomorrow, 8.15 a.m on any Benzinga Cannabis social channel. Until then, y'all, be well.